This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Today, I am thrilled and excited to have Dave Asprey. He's the founder and chairman of Bulletproof. He's a three-time New York Times bestselling science author, host of the Webby award-winning podcast, Bulletproof Radio, and has been featured on the Today Show, CNN, the New York Times, Dr. Oz, and more. Welcome, Dave. It is such a pleasure. Cynthia, thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Well, you know, I was kind of going through your book and trying to think about an angle to kind of start the discussion. And I wanted to just share with the listeners that I actually met you in 2019. And I recall at the time I was completely fangirling and geeking out. And Sean Tesson reached over and said, I'm just going to walk up and introduce you to Dave. And you probably don't remind, don't recall this whole meeting. Cynthia, I totally recall. I've never had anyone hug me so tightly and you're like <laughs> shaking and sweating. It was really weird. I, yeah. How could I forget? Totally not true, guys. <laughs> no. And I just remember you were incredibly gracious and you probably spent 10 or 15 minutes talking to me. And the thing that struck me first and foremost was how gracious you were, but secondly, how tall you are. And I think a lot of people don't realize Dave Asprey is a tall guy. I'm not like Tony Robbins tall. He's a tall guy. You know, he, he's like six, eight or something. I'm, I'm six, four, so tall-ish, but yeah. I'm usually the tallest guy in the room, which is kind of strange because if you're the tallest guy in the room and you're the fattest guy in the room, man, it's kind of hard to, to hide. <laughs> Starting from a place of gratitude, and that was certainly a theme that I saw you weaving into the book and this whole transformation. So where did it come to you? I know you've written many books, and obviously you are well-known in the biohacking sphere, but what made you decide to write this book right now? I looked at my first really big book was a Bulletproof Diet. It's been out for 10 years now. At least the diet has been out. The book's been out for about seven years. It's helped people lose more than a million pounds. And it took a long time and a lot of research and, you know, fixing the little tweaks that didn't work. Oh, and I was vegan. Oh, and I was keto. Oh, and I tried all these things. And it included stuff not to eat, when to eat, intermittent fasting, hacks for intermittent fasting. And it included, you know, the stuff that you'd find in a book about lectins or food toxins. So it was as near, even now when I just reviewed it again, it was about as good as you can get in terms of even predicting some things that studies said. The problem was who can read that? And then follow it all. So then I said, okay, I'm getting feedback from people saying, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. So I stepped back and I said, what is the highest return on investment activity that I could teach people to do? One that they maybe wouldn't do on their own. And it's fasting. The problem is you want to write a book about fasting. I'll give you the download. Step one, don't eat for a while. Step two, it's good for you. Here's a bunch of studies from PubMed. Boom. Okay. There's already a few books like that out there. And my blog has lots of fasting stuff. What I wanted to do was make it so that someone who is like I was, who doesn't know all the stuff I know now, someone who has some weight to lose or maybe just does, has energy to gain, they could pick up the book and they would actually try it and actually succeed. And step one, you can do try it because you convince someone, oh, you know, here's a bunch of science, do it. They'll do it for a week and it'll suck and then they won't do it. And there's two words that say why they won't do it. They're hypoglybitchy and hangry. And these are words that I use to describe myself when I weigh 300 pounds. So here's what return on investment actually means. It's not money at all. Everything you do in life, you invest some amount of energy and you gain or lose some amount of energy as a result. Well, let's see fasting. I didn't take time, energy, or money to make breakfast. Okay. I got paid up front because I got an extra 10 minutes of sleep or whatever. Then I had more energy that morning, not less because I know how to do it right instead of doing it where you do get hangry. And then over time, I get more metabolic energy all the time, and I probably have to buy new pants, smaller ones, not bigger ones the way I used to. And that's the best investment ever because they paid you, and then they paid you, and then they paid you. That's why I wrote a book about it. Also, most people won't do it because fasting is abhorrent on its face. You want me to not eat? Are you kidding? Don't you know that famine has killed our species and our evolutionary predecessors for 2 billion years? Like That's the worst book you could ever write. But I wrote it because it matters that much because of that equation. Well, I think that's so perfect. And, you know, considering we're now in a situation in westernized countries where we're just struggling with diabetes and obesity and metabolic disease and <sighs> in such an easy way, fasting 
in almost all of these instances, when we look at research and we look at all the data that obviously we're both very familiarized with, fasting is such an easy answer. I mean, it's one of those things, like for me, I worked in allopathic medicine for over 20 years and I finally got to a point People always ask, like, why did you leave clinical medicine? And my answer is always the same. I got tired of writing prescriptions because in cardiology <laughs> and ER medicine, that's all you do. And so yeah. we've conditioned patients not to do the lifestyle piece. We've conditioned patients to come in with a symptom and give them a prescription. And yet this is so much more powerful than that. It all starts with food or the lack thereof. I'm really happy you didn't say it all starts with exercise. Because <laughs> when I went to the doctor, when I weighed 300 pounds, I said, man, I feel like I've been poisoned. My energy is low. I've worked out an hour and a half a day, six days a week. I went on a low-fat, low-calorie diet, and I still weigh 300 pounds. I am wrecked. And I wake up in the morning, I feel hungover. Something's wrong. And he looks at me and he goes, maybe you should try to lose some weight. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you should try to eat healthy. And I said, you don't, did you not hear me? But it was really clear in medical school, they might have even taught you this when you're going through. If a patient has 10 symptoms like I did, they're a hypochondriac and they're lying to you, right? Well, my symptoms were real and I did before I was 30 on labs have high risk of stroke and heart attack, prediabetes, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, oh, and serious cognitive decline. And I'm probably missing a couple others, asthma and Asperger's syndrome and all kinds of crap, right? But no, no, let's not pay attention to that. You should just eat healthy. And you should exercise. And it turns out what you just said is true. 90% of how you look of your fat comes from what you put in your mouth and when you put it in your mouth. And what is not a matter of, is it plant-based or, pro- or, or animal-based? That's completely a garbage way of thinking for the simple fact that animal-based proteins include spider venom and plant-based proteins, 99% of them will kill you. And if you don't believe me, go out into your backyard or the forest, pick up the first plant you see and stick it in your mouth. And you might have to go to the emergency room if you do that. So don't really do it. But most plants have proteins that are bad for us and some that are useful. So it's not that. And fat, did you mean margarine? Did you mean candle wax? Or did you mean olive oil? Because they're different things. And it's just one layer of nuance and detail down from what you read about, you know, in a simplified health magazine. And when you understand that's why your clothes don't fit right, that's why you're tired. Yeah, you got to move. But a 20-minute walk every day (laughs) and once a week doing something hard for 10 minutes is probably enough for the average person, even if you're saying, I want to work on my booty. It turns out doing squats a couple times a week is all you really need to do if you eat the right stuff. And like, why are we causing so much struggle and suffering and pain? Why did I spend $300,000 making myself well? Because I believed false things. It was only when I started testing whether my behaviors worked that I was like, wait a minute. And then you meet the experts and the masters who are frustrated, a lot of them with medical degrees. No one will listen. How do they not know that grass-fed this is so important? So there's this huge frustration from the knowledgeable people, the masters, the wizards. And then there's this giant gap of like PR marketing nonsense, but you can eat just one, right? And then there's a bunch of confused people like I was, and I am still a little bit angry. I've done a lot of forgiveness work. But really, I'm still a bit angry that I just had to spend so much time and money and energy sorting through all that. I ran a nonprofit for 15 years in the anti-aging field to learn from people three times my age who who figured this stuff out. I'm like, why was I not born with a manual? Or at least why couldn't someone have written one? It's like, this is probably going to work. This isn't. And that was all that kind of goes into all of my books because I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. Well, and it's interesting because most, if not all of the individuals that I interview on the podcast, there's been some type of health issue, some type of health insult, some type of health journey that has spurned their desire to turn all this antiquated dogma on its head, completely flip it. There's a really interesting pattern that happens too. And you know, because you have the medical knowledge, it's so easy to sort of say, oh, there's a cool post. I'm going to copy and I'm going to paste it and I'll change it a little bit. It happens all over the place and we've all dealt with that. But the problem is when people do that, they change it. They take out the important stuff because they didn't know it was important. For instance, I was totally keto in 1995. It was called the Atkins diet. And I lost 50 pounds of the 100 I needed to lose. The other 50 pounds took me more than 10 years because it turns out, this is going to sound really crazy, pork rinds and cream cheese and artificial sweetener, which is all keto, doesn't work because it causes inflammation. 
And if you want to go on a plant-based kick, you probably won't last that long on it, but you could go on the soda and Doritos vegan kick, right? And that's not going to last long either. So doing it right is different than just doing it. And when I see these meatheads, you know, if you eat another carb, you're a bad person and I'm never having glucose again. I'm like, you need to STFU because I actually did that and it gave me leaky gut and an allergy to eggs. Like I experimented with it. It doesn't work long-term. And if you tell women to do that, who are not little miniature men, it wrecks them even before men. And I saw the devolution of the keto, the cyclical keto with the right fats that I described into dirty keto. And the same thing is happening with fasting right now, Cynthia. And that's the other reason I wrote the book, especially for women. And well, this trap, I've been caught in it twice and I didn't do it with fasting. So I guess you do learn over time. And the vegan trap that I was in when I was a raw vegan for quite a while, man, I feel really good. I just you know, went raw vegan. I'm, you know, I've got all this energy. This is great. You know, lost a little bit of weight. And then about, oh, six, eight weeks later, a few little things aren't working quite right. Like, oh, my sleep isn't quite there. Man, my joints really hurt, huh? Clearly I'm not vegan enough. I'm going to buy a bigger bowl that'll hold more kale, right? And you go down this path and you do more of what you already have proven works. And then you switch to keto. Okay, well, I feel amazing on keto. Well, after a while, your cells, the ones in your brain and your immune system that require glucose and don't get enough of it when you burn muscle to make glucose, they start being unable to repair the brain and the gut lining and your gut bacteria change. So you're like, clearly the 15 grams of carbs I'm having a day are too much. I need to go down to 10 grams of carbs a day and I'll have even more ketone, whatever salts that probably aren't good for you anyway, right? Because you know it works and you do it more. And if people walk away from our interview with one piece of advice, if fasting isn't working for you right now, doing it more probably isn't a good idea. It's actually doing it less, doing it in a different way, doing it with assistance. And that kind of thing, you can say that that's true for everyone. It is 2x true for all women. And it is 5x true at perimenopause or menopause. So three days a week fasting, intermittent fasting for just 14 or 16 hours might be exactly what's right for you. And it's okay. And if it's a really rough week or it's your period, maybe that's a week where no intermittent fasting or one day and that it's okay to change it up. And it's okay to say, I wanted to fast for 23 hours today because I was going to try OMAD, but I'm feeling like crap. And I just yelled at my kids and I'm going to eat something. And you still did an 18 hour fast. You didn't fail. You didn't lose. You actually use this weird thing that fortunately women are better at than men on average called intuition. And like it's okay. All of those are wins, but doing it every day because that's what you're supposed to do. Oh my God. Could we just stop already? I'm so glad that you're touching on this because I remind people that once you've, you know, you've gotten to a point with intermittent fasting and your body's adapted and you feel great. What I love is variety. I don't like people to be rigid. Rigidity will breed so many other problems. And you're right, with women in particular, they need variety. They really genuinely need variety, either with the time schedule, their nutrition. And I find, and I see this all across social media because I'm in so many groups where there are middle-aged women. And you're right, it's like they tell themselves, okay, I need to work out harder, I have to restrict more. I need to eat no carbs, low carbs, lower carb, uh, no animal protein, more animal protein. And so I watch this happen and women are so hard on themselves. And the biggest caveat of all is that perimenopausal period, those five to seven years preceding menopause into menopause, this is where women get stuck. You know, all of a sudden their sleep is terrible. They have underlying food sensitivities. They are gaining weight. Even people who've never had a weight problem it happened to me. I always tell people, it's like I hit the wall of perimenopause. And even though I was this, you know, big researched institution trained NP, I still didn't know about perimenopause. And so I, I spend so much time unpacking for people. It's not, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with what you're doing. This is, we're having reverse puberty. This is a time in our lives where my kids, I have teenage boys, my kids, they're ramping up their hormones. Mine are kind of ramping down and kind of reminding ourselves, we've got to give ourselves grace. We have to be flexible, much to your point about maybe you're doing a varied schedule. And that's actually one of the things I talk about quite a bit is that, you know, if you're doing 16, eight and that works, that's great, but you may need to change it up. And certainly the five to seven days preceding your period without question. 
And I love in the book in particular that you really address this because I feel like it's a missing piece in a lot of the fasting literature and certainly a lot of the big, you know, biohacking fasters that are out there, largely because I think a lot of the big fasting people are men. But I love that you touch on this because it really brings to the forefront that this is a big problem. We have this weird cultural moment right now where women are stepping into the power of being women, which is awesome. And it's about time. The power of being a woman doesn't mean doing karate with a machine gun leading a troop of commandos, but that's all you see in the movies these days, right? There's something different in the way women express feminine power. And when we kind of unconsciously bring that mindset in, then the fasting bro mindset, which is definitely out there, you're like, oh yeah, I'll do that. But actually it's just, it truly is different for women. And the fact that it's okay that it's different for women it shouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't be shocking any more so than if I tried to fast according to the right fasting schedule for women. I'm a six, four guy. I'm about like 10 point something percent body fat and I would probably fail. Like it wouldn't work. And so why is it such a mystery? I think it's because of media and the portrayal of women as many men. And when you step into that and be like, actually, I'm going to own the fact that I can make babies and you can't. <laughs> my first book was a fertility book. My wife is a Karolinska trained medical doctor. And she's certainly at the age to go through perimenopause. And you know, we talk about it all the time. It's like, God, I wonder what my hormones are doing right now. And she loves fasting. And I talk about it in the book. And then sometimes it's like, I'm having carbs for breakfast. I'm like, what are you talking about? Carbs for breakfast? Like, just have them for lunch at least. She's like, no, my body really wants some carbs. But it's not a croissant, right? So even when we decide we're going to change it, we can choose the foods that don't make you hungry later. And that's also missing from even fasting bros. Like, I'm going to fast for 24 hours. I'm just going to push through it. Like, yeah, you ate pizza last night and today you're suffering, right? But if you've eaten something different last night, today would have been an effortless fast. But it's that sort of, I call them hair shirt fasters. You know what a hair shirt is? Mm -mm. Maybe I'm just weird. I think I, I was one class away from a minor in religious studies because it was the only classes I could successfully pass because it's not that hard to pass a religious studies class. And I was studying computer science. So I was like, how do I pad my GPA? Anyway, hair shirts are something that monks would make in the 14th century in a branch of Catholicism. And you would make this because it was really itchy. So you would wear this so that you could suffer more all day because suffering has merit. And there are water only hair shirt fasters out there. You know, you got to do it on this rigid schedule. You got to do it this way. But I look at my life. I suffered plenty without a hair shirt and without adding to it. And I look at the average parent right now. Let's see. You're trying to focus on your job. If you still have one and we're in the middle of this pandemic thing and you're trying to focus and there's two kids running around the house, completely going bonkers because they can't see their friends pestering you when you wanted to focus, that's enough. And to say, I'm going to make my fast more difficult than it needs to be to get the results I want. I don't think that's okay because the end result of that is that it will wear away your energy and you're going to yell at your kids, right? You're going to yell at your boss or maybe both at the same time, right? And this is something that men and women do. So now's the time to say, how do I turn my energy up without taking hits along the way? And I did not know there would be a pandemic when I decided to write this book, but I knew it was the highest value add. And if I could get some people to just try it without the suffering, that it would, it would be big. In fact, I'd like to invite um, our listeners. I will teach you the book for free. I was a teacher at the University of California for five years. I love teaching. I haven't taught any of my books ever. Fastthisway.com. You can register. And for two weeks, starting January 25th, every day, there's a fasting exercise. You don't fast every day, by the way. You don't need to. And I'm going to walk people through the idea of a working fast. How to fast when you want to get stuff done, right? And then how to tune what you eat before and after a fast. But the other side of fasting that the fasting bros totally missed is the spiritual side of fasting. And the magic of fasting that I experienced, because I fasted in a cave for four days, as you know, because you've read the book. But see, I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of being a jerk because I'm hungry. And I'm afraid of getting fatter because I'm hungry because I somehow think that being hungry makes me fat because if you don't eat six times a day, blah, blah, blah. So I sat in this cave and said, well, if a shaman drops me off and there's no food and no people for 10 miles in a direction, I could totally lose it. And at least no one's going to laugh at me except for me. And I think it's my best book from a storytelling perspective. But one of the things that I describe is that when you fast, your sensors open. And this is by design. The body says, oh, 
there's no food here. Have some extra energy. It's in the form of ketones that are formed. Even if you're a woman, even if you only intermittent fast for 12 hours a day, three days a week, you get a slight bump in ketones. That's a very mild schedule. That means you had dinner a bit early and then you had breakfast. It's very doable. You probably want to do 14, 16, 18, whatever, but that's enough to get started. Anyhow, when that happens, no food, more energy to find the food. But at the same time, and when I say sensors, I'd like to say it's just your nose, or maybe it's the way your brain talks to your nose. Maybe it's your ears, maybe it's your eyes. I think it's more than that. But basically, you become more plugged into the world around you because your body says, oh, that's how I've always found food. That's how animals find food. They just kind of know where to go. How do they know? They don't have a map. They don't have GPS. You have that in you. And this may sound stereotypical, but it's real. On average, women are better at that than men anyway. I don't know why. But I know lots of women, I know lots of men, I have people lost a million pounds on the Bulletproof diet and I've interacted for 10 years with people and there's a lot of intuition in there. (laughs) And when you do that fasting thing and you have the energy from it and you're not super distracted and your sensors are open, your ability to do the deeper work, whether it's on yourself or on the land on which you live or on your community, your tribe, your family, whatever, it is noticeably quantifiably bigger and every major spiritual tradition ever has found this out. So I'm going to lead people through in the last two days, either a one or a two day spiritual fast with meditative exercises that are a part of it, because it would be a disservice to everyone listening if, if it was like fasting is just about higher performance. You can be a high performance mom, go. You don't have to do it that way. But if you try to do a spiritual fast, like, oh, I'm going to fast to be more in tune with myself. Meanwhile, you're in the middle of a work day and you got to make three meals for everyone else. You're probably not going to get very spiritual. You're just going to get angry. And so dividing those times up, that's okay too. It's a matter of kindness to yourself. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armra Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armra's colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And Armour's colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. 
And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. I love that because I think a lot of people are attracted to intermittent fasting because they want to lose weight. I think that's the intrinsic desire. And I remind people that for me, it's the mental energy. It's the, you know, cognitive improvement. In fact, normally I like to do my podcasts completely fasted, but it's seven o'clock at night on the East coast. And that's not possible. But I think the longer you fast, meaning the longer you've been doing fasting as a process, the more attuned you are to, you know, what goes on with your body. And for me, the spiritual side, you know, even though I like to remind people I was raised Roman Catholic, my family technically where we, well, not during the pandemic, we're not going to mass, but you know, the whole concept of that spiritual side of me is one that fasting has allowed me to reconnect to that as well as with meditation. So I love that that's been integrated. Now, I'm sure that a lot of people continue to make that association. Fasting equals weight loss. But fasting is so much more than that. So I love that you're teaching being kind to yourself, giving yourself grace. There are lots of people trying to manage multiple things that are unusual for them given this pandemic. And certainly this is a book that makes things feasible and reasonable for people. But let's unpack a little bit because you've made some references to a few different things. What are some of the things that listeners can do to make fasting easier for them if they're new to fasting or perhaps for people that have been doing fasting for a while, what are some of the, I hate to use the word hacks, but what are some of the things they can do nutritionally that will improve their fasting skills? I'm okay to call them hacks because uh, people call me the father of biohacking. So <laughs> I'm okay with it. But honestly, it does a little bit of disservice. What they are is their tools. In the, the beginning of this movement 10 years ago, it wasn't okay to say that you wanted control of your own biology. You're supposed to just be a victim of whatever was happening. Oh, it just happens. And I don't know if I don't go to the doctor. So it was about changing the language of how we think about our health. We're in the driver's seat. And a hacker is the ultimate. They're in the driver's seat of your computer and you don't want them to be. Like, how did they do that? So it's a cool metaphor. And also a hacker gets into a system that they don't fully understand. And the human body, if there ever was a system we don't fully understand, that's it. And you can still change it, even if you didn't know. You didn't have to be the one who built it. So the three, we'll call them tools, um, are things that really offend about 10% of the fasting purists. And What they do, though, is they let someone who would have been like me at 300 pounds. I could not have functioned in my life if I skipped breakfast. I did not have the metabolic skills. I did not have the fitness to do that, despite my best efforts. And I find that the vast majority of people who have 20 pounds to lose and haven't been working on themselves for a while, that's where they are. So you're already set up to fail. And there's these three tools, and I'm going to give them order from sort of mildest to strongest. What you want to do during a fast is you want to maintain levels of this signaling molecule called mTOR. Now, you probably haven't heard of this before, and that's fine, but it is a fundamental thing. And that if you want to put on muscle, and I don't mean big bulky muscle, unless you have a lot of testosterone present like a guy does, I mean appropriate amounts of muscle, you want this hormone to go up. Actually, is mTOR hormone? No, it's a signaling molecule. But you want it to go up, and then you want to go back down and stay low. If it's up all the time, this is one that makes tissues grow. Guess what happens if your mTOR is high all the time? All sorts of tissues grow, including breast cancer, including all kinds of things. So, hmm, we want our fasting to keep this low because that's a hallmark of fasting. And we want our fasting to keep our insulin low so your blood sugar is stable and your insulin doesn't rise. If you do that, you are achieving 
the vast majority of the benefits of a fast. And there are other benefits you can get from tweaking other things, but that's what's going to let you get to the point where you can go 24 hours without really caring whether you eat or not. By the way, I broke my 24-hour fast right before this because it aligned with the time of day. So I did that. I was on camera for eight hours straight before this. I stopped, I ate, broke the fast, and I'm back on, right? So that kind of resilience with no food, oh my God, that could never happen. Except it can because your tissues learn. So step one, if you want to maintain those two things, which is the definition of maintaining a metabolic fast, you can have black coffee. Now, some women are saying, but black coffee doesn't make me feel good. Then have some matcha already. It's okay. However, I will tell you that most people I know who have a problem with black coffee, I gave up coffee for five years because I had the same problem. It's because there's other stuff in the coffee that isn't just coffee. It's because of coffee and okra toxin A. It's a mold toxin that is not even regulated in the US. So if coffee is illegal to sell in China, Japan, and Europe, they send it to us, we drink it, and then we get jittery anxiety and we want to punch people. So clean coffee might be different for you, but some form of caffeine, here's why. The amount of caffeine in two small cups of coffee will double the production of ketones. And ketones are what happens when you fast, they're what happens when you go on the bacon diet, things like that. And a small rise in ketones blocks two hormones that control the voice in your head telling you to eat everything. And those hormones are ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone. And the other one is CCK or cholecystokinin. And I like to call it the Calvin Klein hormone if you can't remember how to say that, CCK. And that makes you feel full. If you get just a little caffeine for some people, it's enough. Usually not for first time fasters, but it helps enormously. And this is why most people, even the fasting purists, like, well, I had coffee this morning, but it's really, I shouldn't because coffee makes us feel good. And if you have GI issues with it, you can put a little bit of baking soda in it. And that usually solves the problem. You're going to be short on sodium anyway, when you're fasting, it's okay. Then you get to level two where I'm very well known for this. It will not change my life if you do or don't try Bulletproof Coffee. And you could probably come close to it if you don't buy my stuff. So I'm not selling here, just very specifically. But if you put grass-fed butter, not organic butter, it's okay if it's grass-fed and organic, but it must be grass-fed or it simply doesn't work. I spent a lot of time figuring that out. (laughs) And it can be a half a teaspoon. It can be more. You do that and you put some MCT oil. And you want it to be C8 MCT. My brand is called Brain Octane. There are people who've copied it and make other brands of C8. C8 is shown in studies that came out five years after I launched it that show it raises your ketones four times more than the cheapest form of MCT oil that you can buy that still says MCT oil in the bottle. Is that you got to get enough details right. And MCT oil raises the level of ketones pretty dramatically, enough that for most people, it'll shift your hunger hormones to the point where instead of using your willpower to think about the donut that your kids are eating in front of you and you're somehow going to have the willpower not to eat, it'll actually allow you to just not think about the food. Literally, it's this blissful silence that most of us don't even know. And that's because in the book, 15% of the thoughts the average person has per day, that's an average person, not in perimenopause, not with weight to lose, just an average person. It's about what am I going to eat in my next meal? If you get 15% of your thoughts back all morning long because you're not thinking about food because you changed those two hormones, you totally won because you got a 15% power upgrade that morning. That's what Bulletproof Coffee does. So black coffee, coffee with butter and MCT. And people say, but there's calories in there. I'm like, yeah, there's calories that don't change mTOR and don't affect your insulin at all according to third-party studies. In fact, of 300 possible breakfasts studied, Bulletproof Coffee, which isn't even a breakfast, but it had the least effect on insulin of anything you could put in your body, including celery juice or anything else. So it works for that, but mostly it's because it just turns off hunger. The third fasting tool that's in Fast This Way is something called prebiotic fiber. And this really pisses off fasting advocates. (laughs) Here's the deal. This is a kind of fiber. It comes from plants, but it's not like the sawdust, psyllium husk, metamucil. This is something your body cannot digest. But the good gut bacteria in your stomach love it. And when they get it, they turn on their production of something called butyric acid, which turns up the level of ketones in the body. Soluble fiber also makes you regular, which is a major problem for people when they go keto or when they're fasting. It's also something most of us don't get enough of, and it's correlated with a reduction in all-cause mortality. In fact, it's a major part of my anti-aging book about how to stay younger. Get a lot of soluble fiber. So 
what do you mean? I can have this fiber in the middle of a fast? I'm like, yeah, you can. And when you do, there's no one on earth who can take a bulletproof coffee with 20 grams of soluble fiber. That's two scoops in there, blend it up, drink it. And that's, I'm so full. Like I couldn't eat that donut if I wanted to, but your body thinks you're fasting. You just turn off the hunger hormones, but your mTOR is so you wanted it, your insulin is so where you wanted it. And you just totally power through the morning with no distractions. That is a great way to get started fasting. And over time, you're like, you know what? This morning, I didn't really want to, I'll just have the black coffee. But it might take you three or six months of doing that a few mornings a week in order to teach your body, oh, there's always ketones present because there's this MCT oil that makes ketones and there's caffeine that does. I guess I should always have my cells configured to burn fat and to burn carbohydrates. And that's the hallmark of metabolic flexibility. And guess what metabolic flexibility does for you? When you're having a hot flash, when you're really energetically low, you're getting a migraine and things aren't working right, if you can call on two different power sources as needed, your resilience goes up. It doesn't mean you won't have those symptoms. It means you can manage those symptoms better. You can manage someone yelling at you. You can manage being pestered by your kids better. Whether or not you're fasting that day or not, your human flexibility goes up. Your immune system works better. So if you do get a cold or any other thing that happens to be going around, your odds of noticing that you got it go way down and your odds of having serious side effects go down always, whether or not we're dealing in the land of coronavirus. So we're just like, oh, my kids went back to school. Everyone, all the other moms got sick. I didn't. I wonder why. It's because you had cells that worked that powered your immune system. One thing that I often forget, even as a clinician, is meeting patients or clients where they are. And it, that's really what you're identifying, meeting people that are new to fasting where they are. I'm curious, is there an indication how much MCT oil, because I say this because I speak very openly about this, some people don't tolerate as much MCT oil as others. I can do Are about you- a teaspoon. My husband can do a tablespoon, no problems. But based on the research that you've looked at, is there is there a minimum amount that is effective at kind of facilitating this ketone production and also kind of satisfying this, these satiety hormones. I'm just curious if you've seen anything specific to that. I would guess you're referring to disaster pants when you're talking about, <laughs> yes. that's a medical term. They tell you that in medical school, right? Yes. And in fact, anytime I talk about that on social media, all the women are like, oh my, I'm like, trust me when I say it. it's never happened to me, but we don't want that to happen. That's what we want to yeah. avoid. What you do is you start slow. So I suggest that someone who's never experienced MCT oil at all in Bulletproof Coffee, start with a teaspoon. And most people handle that really well. If you are doing what I recommend with the butter, you will tolerate it much better. If you have a hard time tolerating it, try the prebiotic fiber and you'll almost certainly tolerate it. And if neither of those work, try a teaspoon with a meal after your fast. And you'll almost certainly tolerate that. So it's a question of what is it with? There aren't that many people who can blend straight MCT into coffee or tea and then tolerate that nearly as well as if they add a bit of butter. The reason you add the butter isn't what you think. It does make it creamy and delicious. And it just feels a little bit naughty to be like, I'm actually putting butter in coffee. Like, oh my God, you know, can you believe this? It's sort of like walking over coals at Tony Robbins, but it's with your blender. And What's happening with the butter, I did not understand this. It drove me crazy. You can't eat a a bite of butter and then drink a cup of coffee or tea. It doesn't work. The reason it matters, I funded research at the University of Washington to figure this out. Gerald Pollack, who figured out that one of the things we do when we drink a glass of water is our body puts the water near our cell membranes because we're made out of cell membranes. And then our body heat, also known as 1200 nanometer light, if you want to sound all biohackery, we heat up the water in the presence of a little bit of fat, which is what our cells are made out of. And after a little bit of time in that environment, the water changes and you can see the change on a microscope. So this isn't like magic fairy water. This is, it's called exclusion zone water. Your body has to have that kind of water to make ATP, to fold proteins. Every biological process in your cells is done with this form of water. Well, when you put the butter in the blender and you hit blend in the water, Dr. Pollock discovered that butter fat makes the largest exclusion zone of anything he's ever seen. And as I was testing this stuff a long time ago, before I wrote the first book, if you blend it for at least 20 seconds, it works better than 10 seconds. What's happening is, okay, you're in a fast. And when you drink this strange sounding, but delicious concoction, your body's like, oh, I can use all that water to burn fat right now. 
because I don't have to heat it up first. Oh, and there's a little bit of this MCT oil that cannot be stored as fat and must be burned for energy. So now I've got the water, I've got the substrate that's required for the mitochondria. Just suck up that water, suck up that MCT, make me some energy. And it's like the lights come back on in 15 minutes. And this is a pretty good explanation of the mechanism that I didn't understand, but that's why the butter matters. Plus it lets you handle the MCT well. And if you start with a teaspoon, almost everyone does it. And there are a few people like, look, a half a teaspoon is it for me. I know a few people who start really low and then have to work up. And this leads us to a prediction thing. If you're listening to this and you've had chronic problems with yeast, one of the other names for this brain octane oil is caprylic acid, which is a widely known treatment for candida. Now, I do not use it for that, and this is sold as a food because it's the same type of fat that's predominant in mother's milk even. There's a very large amount. It's the most common MCT. So it's part of our normal diet, but it's nicely antifungal. But if you have a bunch of yeast in your body and you drink this, you might need to go slow because you could even have a die-off of the yeast. You're like, wait, this is great. The yeasts are dying, but if they all die at once, you're probably not going to like how you feel. And that's why the other big fasting hack that's in the book is activated charcoal. Since you're already in the middle of detoxing during a fast, because all the energy that your body was going to use to eat the meatloaf, it's now using to burn up stuff inside your cells, this extracellular debris and toxins in a process called autophagy. Well, that makes extra toxins, plus your gut bacteria, the bad guys, they make a really potent toxin that you study in med school called lipopolysaccharide or LPS. Funny enough, activated charcoal, 10,000 years of use in humans. It'll also absorb your, your medicines. Don't take it with drugs and things like that. But you can take a couple capsules in the middle of your fast. And magically, you don't get the brain fog. You don't get like the die off. And in fact, I believe that if everyone took activated charcoal in the middle of a fast, they would get better results and they'd live longer. And there's good science to back that up. But if you're feeling a little bit wonky, activated charcoal is an amazing way to remove the toxins instead of just having you know some ice cream, which will also make you feel better, even though it doesn't remove the toxins. Absolutely fascinating. And so this prebiotic fiber, is it like acacia gum? What are the, I'm not sure you probably have a preference. The one that I make for Bulletproof is called Inner Fuel. And I talk about the ingredients in the book. And if you want to Google the ingredient deck on that, you can, Bulletproof Inner Fuel. And the reason I'm suggesting that's the easiest way to find it is acacia gum, which is A-C-A-C-I-A. It's one of the big three ingredients. And this is a basically a sap from a tree in Africa that in many clinical studies is shown to feed the good guys. But there's two other ones that are really useful. One is hydrolyzed guar gum, try to spell that, G-U-A-R. This also in multiple studies, it grows a different kind of good bacteria. The third one that I like that I put in that formula is larch arabinogalactin, which is also very easy to spell. It, all three of these are tree saps that feed good gut bacteria. And if you did a search for prebiotic fiber, just make sure it doesn't have a psyllium husk and coarse fiber in it. Because during the fast, we're trying to only feed the good gut bacteria, not add a lot of bulk. And this is the way to do it. And this is really cool during fasting. And I believe that in the next five years, you'll see every fasting blog talking about how you can do this during a fast. But I have taken already a lot of hits from the water only fasters going, how dare you? I'm like, well, I just wanted it to work. I find it fascinating though, because, you know, from my perspective, it's, you know, we're meant as, you know, individuals to evolve, shift and change. And there are definitely tenants in this book that have caused me to really think, Okay, that makes some sense. Like that may be something that I need to be teaching my ladies that are, you know, following and certainly participating with this. Now, I want you to talk really briefly, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to talk about why you like using raw honey. I know why you do, but I think it would be sure. interesting for the listeners. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one, -on -one, interpreting your data 
and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients, and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. This is one of those things where it seems like I'm just designed to make sure that I make every constituent who's on a very fringe, you know, anyone who's highly polarized, I'm gonna piss them off. So even if you're on a keto diet. What happens with women if they overfast or they over keto in about a four to six week time, the first four to six weeks is heaven, right? But then you start saying, I wake up in the morning and I feel like I'm hungover, like I didn't sleep. And if you keep doing keto and you don't use this honey hack that I'm going to talk with you about, then suddenly like, oh, wow, this month's cycle was not the way it should have been, but that's okay. I probably need to do it even more. And then you start saying, oh, look, my hair is getting thin which is not something that anybody wants. And I just did an episode on Bulletproof Radio about half of women experience female pattern hair loss, but they just don't talk about it the way guys do. Because we're like, oh, look, I can't hide it. I got to show you what I got. But you guys, you have that long hair, so you can kind of cover it up. I don't know, that's outside of my expertise. But what I do know is that if you overfast or you over keto, you'll do this. And even if you don't do either one of those, if you wake up around three, four in the morning with racing thoughts and you can't go back to sleep, there's a reason for it. It might be your hormones, but it probably isn't. It's your blood sugar. Because when you're asleep, your brain has things it must do. And the most important thing we didn't even know about until about, what, eight years ago? And it's called the brainwash. Your body dehydrates the brain. It dumps a bunch of water out of the brain and it flushes the brain with clean cerebral spinal fluid to wash out proteins that build up during the day. If you suck at doing this, you're going to get Alzheimer's. Oh, by the way, women get Alzheimer's twice as much as men. It's probably because kids wake you guys up at night more than men. Just saying. <laughs> I have no idea why. <laughs> but what happens there is the blood sugar crashes and the body says, hmm, what's my built-in mechanism to raise my blood sugar quickly? Cortisol and adrenaline. Hey, here you go. And now you wake up because your brain decided I just wanted to wash myself. But to do it, it squirted a bunch of these stress hormones to raise your blood sugar level. And you aren't going to go back to sleep because you're running on adrenaline and you're thinking about all the stuff you have to do tomorrow. 
So you'd want to stabilize your blood sugar. If you take one, two, maybe even three teaspoons of raw honey and newsflash, if you put raw honey in hot tea, you've made cooked honey. So it has to be raw honey. And you can also put MCT oil in it, which works really well. But the reason you do this is that raw honey preferentially raises carbohydrate storage in just your liver, not in your muscles. So if you're working on fasting, you're working on keto, you're working on losing weight, you don't want to short, store sugar in your muscles, you put it in your liver because the liver will feed the brain first and it can release glycogen fastest. So right in the middle of a fast, if you're having this problem, you could muscle through it or you could say, I'm going to have a little bit of this. Most fasting experts will say, if you have less than you know, 15 grams of carbs, you're probably still fasting because there's a lower limit in there. So try a teaspoon of raw honey. And if it changes your life, awesome. And you can do other things to improve your sleep too, like the glasses I'm wearing and the glasses you're wearing. Um, you want to block more than blue, I would say, but at least blue blockers. These are the true darks. This is, I wrote the patent for these. They radically improve sleep. And when you improve your sleep, your blood sugar regulation during your fast the next day improves as well. So if you can just sleep better, like have dinner earlier, sleep better, use the honey trick if you need to, wake up and your blood sugar is going to do better and you're going to do better when you fast. I think that's a really important distinction because many women, when they come to me, are already not sleeping well. And so that's certainly a hack that people can utilize that certainly makes sense. And it was interesting. I was listening to your podcast with Matt Matson, who attended, he's actually a professor at the same university that I went for undergrad and grad school, proud Hopkins alum. And so one of the things I found really interesting with regard to liver glycogen, which was new for me, was that 700, you can store about 700 calories of liver glycogen in your liver and that it actually takes seven to 12 hours of activity to actually use it up. So to give people a sense, our livers are pretty efficient at storing this sugar, this glycogen for us to be able to utilize. But for a lot of people, if you're really low carb or you're really overdoing it with exercise, which a lot of my women do, they think yes. more is better. I have to sleep less. I have to do 15 boot camp classes. I have to do lots of hit. I have to lift CrossFit heavy exercise every day. And I always remind them, I'm like, we have to be a little gentler to our bodies. Cynthia, I am seeing a lot of women around 50 needing hip replacements mm -hmm. because of those activities. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> you it, don't it, have to hit it. That walking every day is really good. And you can do some high intensity stuff two, three times a week. That's all it's necessary. And even like Lana, my wife. So I'll be, I'll get a little bit personal here. Um, she said, you know what? I have, I'm going to try this. She read BJ Fogg's book um, called uh, Tiny Habits, you know, Stanford professor. And she said, well, his thing is build a habit in that serves you. And there's a way of sort of congratulating yourself. She said, well, here's my new habit. Well, I'm blending. She likes bulletproof matcha in the way. So she said, well, I'm blending my bulletproof matcha, which takes 30 seconds. I'm going to do squats. Okay. That is the extent of her butt exercises. And she grew a shelf. It took her about three months, but it was so funny because she's standing at the blender, hand on the top so it doesn't shoot matcha on the roof, and she's like doing her squats, and the kid's like, ah, mom, and then when she's done, <laughs> to filter in the habit, you go, yes, and you like congratulate yourself, so you get that feeling of awesome, and you know what? She's so happy. It made a big difference, but that is it. She didn't have to go, you know, kettlebell swing and just blow herself up. And I don't know that it's appropriate for women in their 40s, 50s, and 60s to exercise the way a fitness model would exercise in her 20s. It doesn't seem like that's how we were evolved. And I don't think Lana's going to have to replace her hips anytime soon, which is a good thing. Well, and it's interesting for me. I actually have a congenital hip issue, which I didn't know I had until I was probably 40. <laughs> And I was doing a lot of like heavy lifting, lots of repetitive use injuries. And so I actually have a bone spur, but the way that my femur and my hip joints sit together, they had said, you know, you have this slow growing, it's called FAI. And they said, you have this slow growing issue. You know, as long as you're not doing those activities, you should be fine. You probably will never need a hip replacement. But I think about how many patients I've taken care of over the years. And I'm very big now at the latter part of my forties, self-preservation. So I don't ski anymore. And I'm not at all embarrassed. Say I let everyone in my house snowboard. I've all boys and I'm happy doing anything other than getting on a ski. But as I've gotten older, like, especially the last couple of years, like I will go to the gym and I'll do hit. Uh, well, not going to the gym right now, I'll do hit, or I'll do TRX bands, workouts from home. I do a lot of walking outside in nature. And that's actually when I do a lot of podcast listening and I enjoy that thoroughly. 
And I'm as lean as I am now, as I was before I had kids. And I think a lot of it has to do some of it's sleeping really well, good nutrition, but I don't overdo it with exercise. You know, for me, it's more about the movement piece. And for anyone that's listening, especially women, you know, less is more like what we're saying is completely the way you want to be. You want to be flexible. You want to ensure that you're being smart about how you exercise, but you don't want to end up with a chronic use injury. Like you don't want to have a joint replacement at 50. Like you absolutely don't want to do that. No. There's even a study, I reference, you know, fasting from exercise in the book, because you can fast from things beyond just food. And I don't recommend you fast from exercise for a long period of time. But if you think you need exercise every day to survive, go on an exercise fast. There are people who are addicted to the endorphins. And anything that you think you need that you know you don't need for a long time, you probably should skip that for a few days and just teach your body you don't need it. And that creates a lot of inner peace. And this kindness towards yourself with exercise, another word for that is laziness. And I'm just going to say, and this has really irritated people at the very start of the biohacking movement. I'm like, look, I wanted to exercise less. I even want to sleep less. Like, I don't want to force myself to sleep less. I just want to wake up fully rested in less hours, which I do. And there are now two studies from University of Colorado at Denver showing that on an exercise bike driven by artificial intelligence, two 20-second intervals over a seven-minute period of time without any sweating creates more cardiovascular benefits than a 45-minute steady-state spin class. Hmm, which is easier on your hips and which freed up more time for you to meditate, right? So that's the stuff that's really interesting to me. Or what if we could free ourselves from all the things that we had to do, like making breakfast every morning? <laughs> and all these kind of, they're almost religious behaviors that we do because we think it's going to make us safe or we think we're supposed to do it, or we think it's going to make us healthy, but the data doesn't show it. And what does, it was very provable, is that when we think we need something and we don't get it, it creates fear. So there are many people out there who are afraid of being tired. And the fear of being tired is worse than being tired itself. And there are many, in fact, my wife Lana dealt with that, especially around our first kid. And, you know, we, she actually did EMDR and neurofeedback on it. So it's like, oh, now I'm okay to be tired. I don't like it, but I don't feel like it's doom, right? <laughs> and the same thing happens with hunger. For me, the fear of being hungry was a really big deal because I'm like, I really don't want to act like a jerk. <laughs> I've been working on that for years. I know that I'm just going to lose control of my emotions if I do. I won't, I, like, I will just be a jerk. And I also, at a deeper level, it was like, I know I'll starve and I don't want to go into starvation mode. And I felt so low energy and so crappy so much that it's sort of like, I'm never going back. And when I realized, okay, you can be at peace and being hungry. There's this whole weird thing where hunger means, you know, I should probably eat in the next couple hours for best performance, but if I don't, I'll be just fine. And that's very different from if I don't eat right now, I'm going to have to break off someone's arm and eat it, or I'm just going to lose it. Right. And like, I am starving. And if you think you're hungry for lunch, you say, I'm starving. You have a craving. You're not even hungry. And to understand through a practice of fasting, through a practice of awareness, that hunger is a relatively peaceful thing. And if you eat the wrong stuff of big kale salad and whatever else the night before, and you wake up, you're like, man, my stomach is gurgling and I'm so hungry. I have to eat now. It's what you ate before. And when you do it right, you wake up like, oh, I'm not even hungry. And if I get hungry, I can just wait until it's convenient because I'm just not going to, that cortisol spike, that sensation, that fear. And when your cells know that you're not doing that, they actually become stronger too. So when you don't trigger yourself with untrue thoughts or untrue beliefs, then that saves energy for your system to do what it's supposed to be doing. And I did my very best to put this into a book. That's a very hard thing to explain. And that was why I thought it was worth a book versus the don't eat for a while, it's good for you kind of thing, where the emotional and the how to actually do it was my biggest focus. And it was one of the harder books I've written, but I think it's probably my best book. It's not the most science book. It doesn't have 1300 references, only like 800 or something. But that idea of getting through the emotional side of this, which is why most people don't try fasting. Um, that's where we've got to get as a country, as a world even. 42% um, of people are obese something like 88% of people <laughs> currently are on track to get uh, at least pre-diabetes as they age. That's most of us. This is a free way to turn that completely around. And if that means 
being super happy when one of your friends shows up and says, I'm fasting, but I'll have coffee with you this morning. I'm not having coffee and bagels. And instead of being judgmental or because you feel hungry because your mirror neurons had empathy and you know they must be hungry and trying to force food on them, just be like, awesome. And don't tell them they have an eating disorder unless they actually do. You'll know. <laughs> when someone has anorexia, you can tell. And if someone has bulimia and they're a close friend, you'll probably know. We're not talking about that here. Those are emotional disorders and you need medical treatment for that. But what we're talking about is support someone who says, I'm going to eat when I'm hungry. Because the idea that we're all going to line up at the gas station Monday morning, even if our gas tank is full and we're going to just pump all the same amount of gas and even if it spills out onto the, the ground, it doesn't make sense. But we're doing that because big companies 100 years ago set up factory schedules where that was most convenient. And now we think it's normal. It's just not. Well, I think that's such valuable information, a little bit of hormetic stress, a little bit of allowing our bodies to get back to the way that they are optimally supposed to be surviving and thriving. What's next? Obviously, you've got your new book, but I know you always have things cooking in the background. What is next for you? Well, my big focus now is on teaching. It'll probably be 30,000 people by the time the challenge starts. I haven't taught 30,000 people something before. I think the biggest single audience I've done is Tony Robbins with like 15,000 people, which is pretty darn amazing. So I'm really all in on how do I teach this? And then how do I go back? If you spend two or maybe 5,000 hours writing a book and you're like, I never taught it to anyone. If you went to school and you only had the textbook and there was no teacher, so I'm this year, it's all about teaching all the stuff I've written. I mean, there's so much of my life's work and all this knowledge and from oh, thousands of experts is in there. If I can make it so people absorb it a little bit better, that's probably the right use of my energy right now. So this is a year for me of teaching, of welcoming people in where, yes, I'll walk you through it. Yes, I'll do 30 Q&As this year. So I've really committed. My whole team is aligned behind that. And you just look at the basics. You should go for a walk every day. It doesn't have to be a big one. <laughs> Learn how to sleep really well. You, know, you probably want a sleep tracker to be good at that. Learn how to skip a meal every now and then and learn how to eat so you're not hungry right after you eat. And if you just do those things, oh, and maybe once a week you do something for 10 minutes that makes you really grunt and sweat a little bit. <laughs> if we could all just do those and you don't have to have the cool electrical stimulation, neurofeedback, biohacking, well, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. You, they'll take you to a different level, but none of that's necessary. Everything I just said was free. Learning how to sleep, maybe blackout curtains will be not that expensive. You can use aluminum foil if you don't like your neighbors there. But like these are very accessible for everybody. They're basic practices, but no one does them because they fail all the time at doing them because they don't know how to do them right. So those are the things that matter most. If you're to go away from this, okay, I can skip breakfast safely. I'm going to practice playing around with my sleep. And one of the other things that I'm going to suggest for people who are really committed to this, that has made a giant difference for me is this thing, you can't see it on the back of my arm. It's a continuous glucose monitor. I have one. And, I love it. Yeah. And so this is from Levels Health. And Levels makes an app that goes with this. They send these things out. And what they do is they let you take a picture of your food. And then you just wave your phone over your arm and it tells you what your blood sugar is. And the coolest thing of all is you're sitting there going, man, I really need to eat. And you wave your phone over your arm and it says your blood sugar is 115. And that is not a low blood sugar. 90, 87 is where you want it to be. Wait a minute, my body's telling me I need energy when it's got energy coursing through its veins. Maybe I'll wait a little while longer. Maybe I can adjust that and I can look at that feeling. Is it actually boredom? Is it loneliness? Those are two things that were triggers for me before I went down this path. You know, is it that I ate something that really has my gut all messed up? Is it thirst? And okay, now my energy is low. This is actually when I should be refueling, not when I thought... And you also learn, wow, I never realized that if I had that dinner at eight o'clock that it completely wrecked my blood sugar for that night and the whole next day. So even as a relatively experienced guy, for me, the feedback from the device has been really, really helpful for fasting and even for just choosing the right foods. Because when you see the results right away, you're like, oh, and next time I maybe I'll have one scoop, right? And so just the feedback loop is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And Levels, and by the way, I recently, as of last week, invested in the company because it's one of the most exciting things I, I can think of. So I have a little interest here, but I'm not getting paid anything. 
there's 75,000 people waiting for a device. Levels.link slash Dave puts you at the front of the line. So they don't save you any money. They're not paying me anything. It's just a way to be an early person if going down that route works. You're a medical doctor. You can prescribe them, but most people can't get them without a doctor's appointment, which makes it, it should be much more accessible to have this knowledge than it is. And this is an accessibility play. I just have to plug that having a continuous glucose monitor for me has been a total game changer. Oh, okay. So you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I do. I do. In fact, I was like, oh, I completely get it. I'm obsessed. I have one that I've been wearing for the last month. And I, I mean, I'm constantly scanning, looking at it. I mean, it's both validating because it shows how tight, how well controlled my blood sugar is. But, you know, going out to dinner and, you know, there must have been like a seed oil and the dressing. And so my blood sugar spiked, even though it had never been that high. And so we kind of identified that it was a seed oil. And I was like, okay, well, that explains why the next day I was craving crap and all sorts of things. So super, super valuable. By the way, um, the fact you mentioned seed oils, thank you. They're a major cause of cravings, and they're certainly in the book. There's several other big causes that you really want to pay attention to. And just knowing, oh, it's not that you're a bad person, you have cravings. It's something you did. And having a little monitor that shows you what's going on is really cool. That's super powerful for sure. Well, I'm so thrilled that you, I was able to steal you away from your extra busy things that are going on. We'll make sure that we are plugging the book and please tell us how best to find you. I know that people in my groups and that listen to the podcast will want to get involved with your upcoming uh, walkthrough with the book. That sounds really exciting. You can go to fastthisway.com to sign up for this spend. You get three, three or maybe four now live Q and A's with me where there'll be lots of other people in a Facebook group answering each other's questions and it's free. It's just, you know, buy the book, read it, use the knowledge. I want to create a movement, not even a movement with me at the head. There's lots of people. I know you're working on great stuff around fasting. I just want to create massive global awareness around this as a normal, healthy, beneficial behavior. And it will meaningfully change the health, not just of the US, but of the world. (laughs) It's this big of a thing and it doesn't cost anything. It's cheaper than fixing corn oil and making it something healthy. So we can all do this. And this is about really education, fastthisway.com. Thanks, Dave. It's been great. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.